All right, let's get going. Uh, what's a pastor for part two? The way of the shepherd. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon, what's a pastor for? Surprisingly, I got a great deal of feedback. I wasn't really planning on doing two sermons on it. The feedback ranged from, we're all in, let's go, which I really appreciate that. And I also appreciate the other, which is, never thought of that before. Never thought of it that way before. Um, there's an old cliche that says, if you don't understand something's purpose, you will abuse it. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, if Tom Brady had not been uh, given the job of quarterback, but instead had been given the job of linebacker, it would have destroyed him. <laughs> but because he was given the job that coincided with his purpose, it made him famous. And so it is, church members, pastors, everybody needs to be, as much as possible, allowed to flow within their purpose. And that's not to say that we never do anything outside of our purpose. Of course we do. Of course we do. But the more you get to live in your purpose, the more energized you feel, the more fulfilled you are. Uh, I don't, many pastors burn out, and that uh, I won't give the statistics, but there, the statistics are available to tell you how often pastors quit. That's a lot, especially in the last two years. But pastors do not quit because, as I, I said this in social media, if you follow me, pastors do not quit because they are burned out from overwork. Pastors burn out because they miss their purpose. We miss our purpose. So let's see what we can do to return to a biblical model of being the church and being what God wants us to be. We're not going to get it right all the time, and we're not going to solve it all today. But let's get our hearts pointed in a good direction. Yes, I truly think it's an important doctrine. Uh, I, I, I thought it would be worthwhile to dig a little deeper into the whole shepherd sheep, sheepfold, pastor doctrine. Yeah, I truly think it's an important doctrine worthy of rescue from the ancient ruins of long-buried cultures who seem to ultimately measure the success of a church by how well its people were formed into the image of Christ in the New Testament, how they loved and cared for one another, and how well they were corporately following the vision that Christ had for that particular church. Did you ever read an attendance report from the church in Rome, or Corinth, or Ephesus, or Galatia, or Philippi, or Smyrna, or Pergamum, or Thyatira, or Sardis, or Philadelphia, or Laodicea? No. Isn't that interesting? You never read an attendance report. You never read a financial report. However, if you read the New Testament, you have read of the spiritual and relational condition of those churches I just mentioned. Their maturity or lack thereof. Their generosity or their lack thereof. Their purity, sexual and otherwise. And yes, I can answer the question about many measurables. I can tell you that I can tell you that in March we averaged 520 in attendance. And in April we 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 uh, Average 521. We are growing. <laughs> but I can answer the question. I just got a detailed financial report a few days ago. So I can tell you 
where we stand financially. But ask me the state of my flock? I'm not really sure. And what does God really care about? Now, numbers matter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they matter very much. But it's not a matter whether they matter or not. It's not a matter whether financial numbers matter or attendance numbers matter, because they do matter, because they represent people. But the question is, how much do they matter? How much do they really tell us the state of our churches and our flocks? Now, I have a reputation, if I do say so myself, as a good pastor. And in some ways, it's deserved. But in other ways, it's not. As I have studied this subject, I did not mean to study the subject. I wasn't looking. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I'm so frustrated with those people. I just got to figure out what's going on. No way. It wasn't how I felt. It just, I, I just have to say, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who tapped me on the shoulder as I was going on vacation and had me listen to an audio book, which I now have I downloaded the regular version, called The Way of the Shepherd. And it's actually a book about business. It's actually a book about how to care for your employees. And man, I'm under deep conviction in many ways. In some ways, I'm doing really great. <laughs> but in some ways, not so much. The subtitle of this message is The Way of the Shepherd. This is actually about a formula for organizing humans for maximum human flourishing. This is not just about church growth thing. This is about organizing humans for maximum human flourishing. We are designed by our creator to function at our highest capacity when we live in the social context of a sheepfold. The crisis of loneliness in America is due in large part to two things right now, which is other things, but I'll give you two. Extreme of individualism. We have such extreme individualism. And the rise of the overprotective authoritarian state. And don't be too, too critical or always critical of the rise of the uh, overprotective authoritarian state. Because, and just, just one metric that I, that I, I looked up, naturally, a lot, of, a lot of you are, into, are moving into foster care, which I'm so proud of you for, of children. But I, I discovered uh, that back, I believe it was 2021, there were 437,000 children in the foster care system. 50% of them will age out without any prospect of a job or ability to earn money. So what is the state to do about that problem? We as a society and our disconnectedness as a society have played a role in making a, an authoritative state necessary, almost. I don't know. That's a political thought that I'm not going to try to get into. Uh, thank you, Colleen Greco, for, for posting or sending um, along a, uh, I believe you sent it to me, right? Uh, uh, I don't remember if you just posted it or you sent it to me on uh, loneliness in the United States. And I'm, I'm going to read it. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen. I thought it was great and I thought it would help illustrate what I'm getting to today. Widespread loneliness in the U.S. poses health risk. This is from, this is from uh, the... Um, uh, attorney, uh, uh, the, not Attorney General, but Surgeon General. I get those two guys mixed up. Uh, Surgeon General, not the Surgeon General, not the Attorney General. He, here's what he said the, a few uh, recently. 
Widespread loneliness in the U.S. poses health risk as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Costing the health industry billions of dollars annually, the U.S. Surgeon General said Tuesday in declaring the latest public health epidemic. The Surgeon General is calling on workplace, schools, technology companies, community organizations, parents, and other people to make changes that will boost the country's connectedness. He advises people to join community groups and put down their phones when they're catching up with friends. Employers to think carefully about their remote work policies and health systems provide training for doctors to recognize the health risk of loneliness. The Almighty God designed us to be profoundly connected with spiritual leaders called shepherds as our caretakers who regularly inspect our emotional, relational, and spiritual welfare, hold us accountable, and provide guidance to help us develop correct thinking, relating, and becoming fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. By and large, we have rejected the shepherd-sheep model in the church for an imitation of a little bit of Las Vegas, Broadway, Wall Street, Motivational Speaker Bureau, with a weak version of social servants agency thrown in. Let me give you three passages of scripture that direct us how Jesus saw the formation and organization of human beings. See, sometimes we forget that the gospel is not just this thing that's good for this little subset of people who believe they will this thing about Jesus and God. But the gospel is for the world. The gospel is for everybody. The formation of, of social structures as presented by Christ and by God and the prophets is what everybody needs. It's what every human being desires. It's what will bring every human being into their maximum state of flourishing. The world will not come into its maximum state of flourishing until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. So let me give you these verses. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, go read the whole passage uh, this week, please. But, but I'm just going to give you a little bit, little snippet. John 21, 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. Wow. Wow. Now, look, now we'll jump over to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you over. So note how personal it is. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you obtain with his own blood. We get, uh, we get really caught up in managing the building of buildings, butts in the pews, in the seats, and budgets. And the Bible doesn't say much about it at all, even though, as I keep saying, those things are important. But what is of most importance? See, that, see, that's the thing. You always have to see what is of most importance? What is primary? If you want to be successful, you make the main thing the main thing in your life. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to give another verse. The Bible says the mouth of two or three witnesses let every 
thought be, the word be established, so that's what I'm doing. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the first thing I want to talk to you about in this talk today is developing what I call a way of the shepherd checklist for you. Now, um, I, I thought I'd have some fun with OpenAI, the lar- one of the large language models called ChatGPT. So I thought I would have some fun with it this week, and I, so I went and asked it. I said, I want, you to, I want you to give me a monologue uh, on uh, I might not be your pastor if in the mode of Jeff Foxworthy doing you might not you might be a redneck if <laughs> and, and I do I'm in New, I know where I am I'm not in Alabama or or Tennessee so I don't know if you even know what a redneck is but but some uh, we some of you are rednecks so I just I just tell you So, I, I, you know, I, I thought I, I was going to do, I thought this might give me something humorous to break, doesn't like an icebreaker for the congregation. I'll read it and we'll laugh and then I'll tell them the series. I was shocked at how accurate and, and it wasn't just humorous. And so I'm just going to, hey, who knows? I know we're all terrified of artificial intelligence, but maybe artificial intelligence will help get us thinking correctly sometimes. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We've got to ride the tiger either way, right? Okay, here we go. I might not be your pastor if you don't know my name. Now, you're laughing, but you won't believe how many people I have met. I have met so many people that uh, went to another church, and, uh, and, and I would say to them, and now this has happened to me, 20 or 30 times in the last, say, five years. I, 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 I'm, I'm shocked. I would say to them, they go, I go to this church, it's so great. Oh, oh, who's the pastor? And they would have a blank look on their face. I, I, I can't remember his name. <laughs> so, it's a valid point. My name is Philip McCutcheon. <laughs> just, just so you know. So now <laughs> we can get that off. <laughs> Or Phil, Pastor Phil, that's what they call me around here. I might not be your pastor if you think pastors work only work on Sundays and have the rest of the week off. A little girl told me one time, she said, uh, do you ever work? This was a few years ago. She, she was a nine-year-old girl. She said, do you ever work? Uh, she said, all I ever see you do is stand around. <laughs> I might not be your pastor if you're more interested in the church's building aesthetics and comfort than my character. I might not be your pastor if you never approach me for guidance or prayer, but prefer to handle your problems alone. By the way, you know what pastors are craving around the world and around the United States? They're craving the pressure of church members demanding that they teach them how to live their lives according to God's word. That's what we are craving. I guess. I guess not. <laughs> I'm just telling you from the, this side of the pulpit. Okay? 
I know you have your side of the pulpit. This is this side of the pulpit. Is we are craving taking people into greener pastures. And the greener pastures are the word of God. The pasture that we want to take you into is the scripture. And there is no substitute for it. There's no other way. There's no other way than the word of God. Thanks for the golf clap. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. You may, I may not be your pastor if you think pastors only care about your attendance, giving, rather than your well-being. I might not be your pastor if you're never challenged by your pastor's teaching, but feel comfortable in your complacency. I might not be your pastor if you view your pastor as a mere facilitator of your spiritual experience rather than a spiritual leader. I might not be your pastor if you're more likely to listen to a motivational speaker or self-help guru. I might not be your pastor if you believe that your pastor's primary responsibility is to make you feel good about yourself rather than help you grow in Christ. I might not be your pastor if you resent your pastor's loving accountability and see it and you see it as an infringement on your personal freedom rather than an expression of Christ's love. I also would add to this, I might not be your pastor if you're just looking for someone to affirm your already decided ideology. I completely understand the complexity of surrendering a measure of your privacy, accountability to a spiritual leader. I understand there's many examples where spiritual leaders have abused their authority, abused their power, and hurt people badly. I understand that. I understand this complexity, but we don't quit using electricity or harnessing nuclear energy or launching satellites or purchasing smartphones or listening to beautiful music or seeking intimate relationships just because there's complexity and even danger involved. Maybe you do, but you're weird. <laughs> Most of us keep turning the lights on <laughs> okay, let's, do, let's move on. Re-evaluate, let's reevaluate the seriousness that God gives the way of the shepherd. Timothy Whitmer is a professor of practical theology at Westminster Theological Seminary and a teaching pastor at a local church. From his book, the, Social, the Shepherd Leader, he tells when the shepherding crisis in America hit him full force. It was when a lady who was leading a promiscuous life came to faith in Christ and attended church faithfully for quite a while and then disappeared. Rumor had it she had returned to her old lifestyle. She came back on the church's radar when she was dying 30 years later or so later. Now, in, keep in mind, he says, she remained on the church membership rolls all those years, but no one checked on her. And no one sought her out. She was not shepherded by the elders of that flock. <clears throat> I'm going to give you some scripture. The Bible says, uh, sometimes I avoid reading a lot of scriptures because it, it can kind of slow a, a presentation down. But actually the Bible says, uh, Paul said to Timothy, give attendance to the public reading of scripture. So really it should not be a point in the sermon 
or in our time together when it slows things down. It's, maybe, it's the most, maybe it should be the most exciting part when the pastor gets up here and reads Scripture. And, and so let me give you a couple of Scriptures that are, that are lengthy passages, but I want you to listen to the words of these, and you may even want to go study them on your own. Jeremiah 23, 1-4, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pastor, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. Notice, God doesn't blame the people. He blames the pastors. He blames the shepherds. I will, declare, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them. Notice that. He didn't just say, and I know, I know the context also includes the great shepherd, Jesus. That Jesus became the great shepherd of Israel. I understand that. And, 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 and that needs to be central in our theology. That Jesus is always the chief shepherd. No, no character like me can is compared with Jesus. But he did not say. He did not say I'm just going to bring Jesus. And everybody else can. And everybody, everybody will only have a personal relationship with Jesus. Notice that? He didn't say. Everybody's just going to be accountable to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is going to take care of everybody. No. He said, I will place shepherds, plural, over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Wow. God really loves you, and God wants to put people in oversight of you who really care about you. And don't just see you as a number on a roll, a giving unit, a financial giving unit, or um, an audience that which we judge our performance by how much you s- responded to a sermon. You laughed when you were supposed to laugh, or you clapped when you were supposed to clap. You know, in a sense, and I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Uh, in a sense, we can become very pornographic. Perform, respond. Perform, respond. Perform, respond. When God has established pastors for a much more serious goal than for us just to be performers. And I'm, I'm by nature, when I've done psychological tests, I'm by nature a performer. I'm not saying I'm a good one. <laughs> Always, but, uh, but that's my nature. My nature is to perform. My nature is to, is to sort of entertain folks. I, I, I always want to make sermons interesting. I want, to make, put, I want to put stuff in there that will be interesting, that you won't be bored. You know, that's part of who I am. But it's not the most important part of who I am. It's not even, by, it's not even close. I don't even know if it's on God's radar at all. When I stand before God someday, He's not going to say, Phil, were you interesting? Were you entertaining? Did you hold their attention? Did you let them out in 30 minutes like you were supposed to? No. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, 
that he will hold me accountable for your soul. He's going to say, Phil, here's, the, here's your report card of how well you attended to people's emotional and spiritual condition. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not, should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there were no shepherds. There was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. If that doesn't describe the world we live in, I don't know what does. That's my comments. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, your shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so, and so have been plundered, and have become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Wow. A while back, a person came to see me. An individual came by, sat with me, and they were facing some of the consequences of some bad decisions. And the person said something to me that touched me deeply. And in a couple of ways. But it touched me deeply from this, from this perspective. It may sound what I'm about to say, uh, that I'm bragging. But, but that's not my heart at all. Because uh, I have plenty of of weaknesses and all that. But I was not touched because I, I was not touched because it was a compliment. I was touched because it touched on my purpose. And here's what they said. They said, you know, I went back and listened to your sermons. And I realized if I had done what you said, I would not be in this mess. Now that is the point of my life. To teach you the word of God in such a way that you won't regret the decisions that you're making. That you won't regret the decisions you're making about how you're raising your children. That you won't regret the decisions you're making about how you're, how you're prioritizing your life and your, 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 your choices and, and, and your time that is the point of a pastor's life. The point of a pastor's life is to lead the flock. Not to demand that they follow, but to give them the opportunity to follow. So that moment was, meant a lot to me. And uh, I appreciate that person for being that humble and that honest. And I... 
more than ready to walk with them through, and they know that, through the unraveling of, that, of those decisions. Um, let's move on. Let's talk finally about cultivating a heart for the way of the shepherd. With God, transformation always starts with the heart. God doesn't impose his will on people whose hearts are set against that will. He doesn't manipulate us into conformity to him either. God has sent his Holy Spirit into the world to appeal to our spirits. We're called the bride of Christ, and so the model of Christ dealing with us is that of a suitor, a lover, who goes to all kinds of lengths to win the heart of his beloved. Jesus wept over Jerusalem when they refused to come under his guidance and protection. He wept over them. God sends us his servants, his word, his prophets, his spirit, his son. He even uses nature to dazzle us into trusting his way. God doesn't oppress us. He rescues us. When we wander from the sheepfold, he personally comes after us to recover us. And he demands that his human shepherds go after you. He treats us like the team's MVP when we aren't even good enough to be backups. Of course... He makes pastors' jobs hard. This, I meant to say, this makes pastors' jobs hard because we can't make you do anything. We can't, we can't demand you do anything. We, can't, we, have, no, we have no tools, to, 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 and, and, nor should we have any tools. In fact, we have to beg you to stay. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird job when God says, I want you to, I want you to guide those people but you also better keep them happy or they will go to another church. You know, if, 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 you go, if they go to Harvard and don't get bees, they'll go find another college that will give them bees without trying, you know. Uh, you know, I, this is, this is I, I promised myself I wouldn't do any side trails, but I got one that came to me I want to share. Uh, Wynton Marcellus is a great jazz musician from New Orleans, right? And I, I saw him the other day on one of those Instagram reels where somebody asked him, uh, tell me about your students. What do they like today? And I was so shocked because he, he described the interior of his students with an expletive that I won't share. <laughs> and he said, all my students want is for me to tell them how great they are. That's all they want. It's for me to tell them how great they are. He said, something has happened to America where everybody just wants to be told how great they are. And so uh, that's the challenge of being a pastor of the 21st century, my, my friends, is uh, you have choices. And so, and so be it. So be it. It keeps you on my toes, right? I want to read, <clears throat> see, see it, it, here, and this is God's will. See, it's not God's will that we have real... I don't say real authority. I think we have real spiritual authority. I do. I think pastors have real spiritual authority. But we don't have um, any natural authority with you. You can do whatever you want. Go where you want. You can, you can come here and give, pay your tithe. You can come here and not pay a tithe at all. So uh, I, I have learned. I, I'm learning. I've, I've learned never to say I've learned. <laughs> I'm learning in my old age. Not to take anything personal. That, that's what I'm working on. If you want to pray for me, I'm learning not to take anything personal. So, um, 
God has, see, our, our jobs are hard because God has told us we have to take off our kingly robe and we have to put on the shepherd's robe. We have to move out of the kingly palace and live in a pasture with the sheep. That's what God says we have to do. So let's do it. I want to read an excerpt from The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman and William Pentak about the mentoring relationship that General Technology CEO Theodore McBride had with Professor Jack Newman of the MBA program at the University of Texas. And I'm just going to give you one little excerpt because he had gone... Jack Theodore McBride was the CEO of General Technologies for 17 years. And... His, he, when he was first hired by General Technology, he was just getting ready to graduate with his MBA from the University of Texas. And he was all of a sudden had nine people under his leadership that he was going to have to guide. And te- te- technically, he knew his job. He wasn't worried. But he was terrified at the prospect of guiding and leading people. So he goes to Jack Newman, his professor, and says, can you tell me how to lead people? And it, pers- it was a process of eight weeks that they met every week with, he had no idea that Jack Newman raised sheep. And Jack Newman had a, a, a flock of 40 sheep, and for eight weeks he took him and taught him how he cared for sheep and said, this is how you care for people. So that's what this is about. As we walked together back to the parking lot, Newman got ready to deliver on his promise. It was a question that had been asked earlier. Okay, he said, first, the rod represents your responsibility to protect. Secondly, it represents your responsibility to correct. Third, it represents your responsibility to inspect. Last week, Ted, when we talked about the staff and the responsibilities it represented, I told you that the shepherd's first duty of the day is to lead his flock out of the fold to find fresh pasture. Remember, yes, I replied, well, at the end of the day, it is the shepherd's responsibility to billet, in other words, create a pen, for his sheep. Uh, 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 in a safe place for the night. The shepherd then stands at the entrance of the fold and counts the sheep, counts the sheep as they enter in, passing. In ancient days, it was called passing under the rod. Not only would the shepherd count the sheep to make sure they were all accounted for, but he would often use the rod to part the wool on the sheep so he could more closely inspect them. You see... um, You see, the longer a sheep's wool grows, the more difficult it is for the shepherd to detect any health problems the wool might be hiding. Surely you've heard the phrase, don't let them pull the wool over your eyes. Of course, I said, that's where the phrase comes from. Newman said, if you're going to shepherd your people at General Technologies, you have to regularly check on their progress. You have to part the wool, so to speak, and take a good look at how they're doing. I've already told you how a sick or lame sheep will do anything and everything it can to avoid being singled out by a predator. Yes, it works the same way with people, Newman said. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen a group of people, people huddling around a conference table to receive instruction on how to do something. They all sit there nodding their heads like they understand. Then the next thing you know, they're privately going back and forth to one another trying to figure out what was said. Everyone was nodding their heads, but no one wanted to spill the beans that they didn't get it. It's your duty, Newman continued, to regularly inquire about the progress of your people because you're responsible for developing them. See, the problem is not merely that we're disconnected, but that we are not connected under a godly moral ethical, and spiritual belief system patterned after 
the family that God created originally, with true spiritual elders. And so when we talk about shepherding and pastoring, it won't all be done by me, by one person. There will be many who, who have uh, what we might call elder calling in the church who will pastor and inspect and do all those things that are, that are called to do. Uh, uh, the, the God d- designed us to live in this family system patterned with true spiritual elders who are there to go the way, show the way, and hold us all accountable to follow the way. Interesting enough, the same culture that a few years ago told you to only believe your own truth is now issuing submission test. You can do what you wish, but I'm going to run back to the chief shepherd and the sheepfold and the church of Jesus Christ. Do you you understand what I just said? No. The culture that we live in a few years ago was telling you to do what you want, believe what you want, say what you want. We've had a culture moment, a culture shift, where now you're getting submission tests by the culture as to whether you are agreeing or doing what they're telling you to do. You can go to that sheepfold if you want to. I'm going to the church. I'm going to get under the chief shepherd. I'm going to go get under the word of God. And I want to be shepherded according to the word of God, not by the latest theories that are coming out of academia. Now do you understand? I don't know exactly how we get to the place where we're able to actually fulfill the divine mandates, but I know we start with believing we actually belong to one another. That we become and we raise up leaders who actually exercise care over one another. That we don't resent it when leaders try to hold us accountable. Today's sermon is not so much about our visible practices, by the way. This, is, this, this sermon is not about how often you attend church or whether or not you even join a community group or if you attend church events or whether you, pay, whether you give in the offering. Today's sermon is all about your heart. It's all about my heart. As important as all those things I just mentioned are, I've known people in my 50 years of public ministry who wouldn't miss a service or a church event and even participate in tithes and offerings but remain aloof and independent. And don't come close to getting the most out of the pastors. So we're not talking about, I'm not beating you over the head. Come to church more. Join this. Join that. Show up at this event. Give more money in the offering. Yeah, all that stuff matters. And there's a time for preaching on that. There's a time for talking about that. I am calling for a shift of our hearts. A shift of our hearts to long to belong. To long to belong. To long to be connected. To long to be connected with other believers. To long to be connected with spiritual leaders who will instruct us and guide us and give us information and care about us and love us and part the wool once in a while to see if we have infections. Uh, you know, uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at today. So how do we end this? Well, I'll end with Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Today, don't start with me. Start with the chief shepherd. Determine you're going to embrace his guidance and let's see where that leads you when you embrace his guidance. Someone here today, I want our prayer partners to get in place. And I really felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me last night 
and said, there's somebody going to be, in, or, or maybe a couple people in the service this morning who feel extremely lonely and depressed. And you feel extremely isolated. And maybe a, maybe a marriage is broken up. Maybe a friendship is broken up. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit wants to love you this morning and help you and meet you. Now, I want you to come and be prayed for, but the last thing I would do to someone who feels isolated is say, get up and let everybody see who you are. <laughs> uh, that would make you feel more isolated. So, there's a lot of you who have needs that we all have, physical needs and, and other types of needs that you come, maybe you even come for prayer often about those needs. I want you to come quickly when I give the word so those one or two who are really, the Holy Spirit is really talking to and, and wanting to minister to today, they will come and they won't feel singled out. And they may choose, if you're one of those people I'm talking to, you may choose to tell the prayer partner exactly what's going on. Or you may choose to say, this is, it's personal, just pray for me. That's all you have to say. I'm telling you, this is not about unhealthy dominance. This is about beautiful care that somebody would love you and care for you. Let's start the journey of becoming not, a, not just a great church in the eyes of people who are looking for numbers and all of that, but a great church in terms of the quality of our life together. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, please come and be prayed for. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you will help us to learn the way of the shepherd. I pray, God, that you will help us to learn the path to beauty and the greatest opportunity for human flourishing. If we need conviction, convict us. If we need to be delivered from fear, then deliver us from fear. Bring us together. And God, I pray that you will raise up shepherds and under-shepherds and you'll raise up people who have the anointing to care for God's people and care for God's flock. Minister, I pray for that person who's had a situation that has isolated them from other human beings and they feel so alone and isolated and maybe they came to church today looking for, looking for help. Minister to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.